New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. Welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Today, I'm hosting Rabbi Paul J. Citron. He's the author of I Am My Prayer, a memoir and guide for Jews and seekers. I'm speaking with Paul at his home by remote connection. Paul, welcome to the New Dimensions Cafe. Thank you, Justine. Great to be here. It's great to have you. Many of us reap great benefits from meditating daily or regularly, would it also benefit us to include prayer as a regular practice in our lives? Well, as a rabbi, I couldn't deny it. Uh, (laughs) I do think that meditation is very valuable as a a calming and a centering activity, but prayer adds uh, another dimension which is uh, the possibility of being in a community that expresses commonly held values that uh, hold each other up. And it's also uh, perhaps a reminder of specifics as to how to measure our lives along the way. So meditation could be a very uh, good doorway to get into the space of prayer. So in meditation, usually we meditate by ourselves. And so I'm thinking it might be a good thing after our meditation to then go into prayer, a personal prayer. It won't be a communal prayer, although that's fantastic, but our own personal prayer. You hit the nail on the head. Well, you know, first of all, I do want to acknowledge, for example, Zen Buddhists Uh, sometimes sit in a group. In my home congregation here in Albuquerque, once a month, there is what they call a Sabbath meditation service. And there might be 15 or 20 people there. And it's a guided meditation with a leader and with some chanting. But then when it's time for the Torah, the five books of Moses to be taken out and read, the meditation group finishes and joins the rest of the congregation in that part of the service, including some of the prayers. So it's a nice way to uh, weave the two together. I know that you say that metaphor is the key language of prayer. What do you mean by that? Well, let me just suggest to you why I deal with that in my book, I Am My Prayer. I find that a lot of modern people cannot relate to the liturgy because they take it literally and they don't believe it. And I think sometimes the literal reading makes uh, atheists or agnostics out of people. So um, I think uh, Jewish liturgy is packed with metaphor. So for example, if I called God in a prayer, king of the universe, that can't be literal for me. I can't accept that. The idea of somebody at the great keyboard pushing the buttons and pulling the strings and making things happen. But when I call God king, what that means to me, there is a source of morality and ethics in the universe that is the most exalted level. Now, 
I can't get to it except through my own tradition, which has a whole ethical content, just as Christianity does and Islam does and Buddhism does. But I use metaphors to express the idea that I'm a limited human being and I can't do just anything. Just because I can make a nuclear weapon doesn't mean, oh, I can go ahead and do that. Because the king, the source of all ethics, is saying metaphorically, that's not allowed. We have a term, Shekhinah, which means the one who dwells amongst us. I love that metaphor because, first of all, it's a feminine word in Hebrew, a feminine notion of God, but the idea of not the distant creator God, but the intimate God who is in our midst when we study together and when we pray together. I'll give you one of my favorites, then I'll stop. Sometimes God is addressed in a prayer as Av Harachamim. That means father of mercies. But here's an interesting point. The word for mercies, Rachamim, comes from the Hebrew word Rechem, which means uterus, womb. So what is it saying? God is the father of motherhood, if you will, or God is the mother-father God. And just as a mother feels compassion for her children, God feels compassion for us. But I like the idea of blending the genders in the divine, which is also a metaphor. That's so beautiful. I'm thinking that, let's say, if you take the literal rule of law, it can be interpreted in many, many, many different ways. And if you use a metaphor, metaphor gives an authentic flavor of something. Not being so literal, it can be actually more accurate because it's giving the flavor, the taste and smell and touch of something rather than this literal translation. Well, you know, it can do it. But my metaphor for metaphors is that it is a springboard, like a gymnast jumps on a springboard to get to the rings or to the uh, horse. The metaphors in prayer, if one is open to metaphor and not being a literalist, can lead you to higher ideas and insights along the way. And I I agree with you. It opens doors and uh, gives you a richer palate. I know that you speak of three ways of coming close to the divine. And I'd love for you to kind of say a little bit about those three ways. Well, as I see it, Justine, in Jewish tradition, those ways are certainly through the natural world. And maybe that's a no-brainer. Every human being responds to uh, a view in the Grand Canyon, let's say. But to make that a regular part of one's life is very renewing and refreshing. Secondly, a study of one's tradition, scriptural or other readings, connects one to the divine, I think, not only because we think we're reading the divine word or some interpretation of it, but because when we talk about a text, it brings us together in our humanity. And it means that I have to be open and listening to you um, and not judgmental. And I have to be self-revealing to you also. And it's in that spirit that the Shekhinah, the dwelling presence of God, is there. And the third is in community, whether it's in prayer community 
or doing a project for social justice that the spirit is also found uh, in those things. But, you know, if I may, in terms of the structure of liturgy, I call it the aesthetic. And my metaphor for it is it's like a garden. And you walk into a gate and maybe there's a, um, a box and in the box is a certain set of plants, vegetables, etc., or prayers that are there to get you into the mood of prayer. And then you might come to the gate called the call to worship. And after you go through that gate, there are other things planted that praise God for nature or for being part of the community, whatever it is. But in Jewish tradition, I would say that a service has about six different boxes in the garden. And again, for people who are not initiated, and that's partly why I wrote the book, you know, it's, it seems like one prayer after another when, in fact, there's a structure to it. So I think what I say in the beginning of that chapter is, you know, it's very nice to go to a concert and hear Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and hear the Ode to Joy. But it also helps if you understand how he got there, what, what comes before that, and how he takes us out of there to the end. Same thing with uh, a worship service. Yes. I'm wondering, too, about the types of prayer and how we might learn to expand our prayer vocabulary by listening to others pray. Do you have any advice about that? Oh, I love your question because uh, while it's your own question, there are some pretty significant 20th century rabbis who said something like this, before you can become, uh, I'm, I'm not giving this to you as accurately as I would, before you can become a member of the faith in the God of Israel, you have to be a member of the people of Israel. What that's trying to say is, in order to hook on to a Judaic spirituality, you have to know the language of it, which you find in the prayer book. And by language, I don't necessarily mean Hebrew. I mean, it could be English or whatever. I think you're absolutely right. And, you know, you find the same thing in almost any religious tradition you enter. There's going to be a language that's different from those of other communities, but binds that community together. And, you know, it's kind of like having the uh, passwords or the keywords, if you will, that brings you closely together. Am I answering your question? Well, you are in a way, and to expand it out from Judaism, it can also be a way, like, let's say someone belongs to a Protestant religion. One might look up the literature and the prayer literature of of different people that have gone before that that have a a very deeply ingrained spirituality and their prayers are very inspiring. So sometimes when we approach prayer, we might not feel so inspired. So it might be that if we tap into some others that have prayed and that have are very adept at prayer, it might be helpful. I'm not sure what you think of that. Well, you know what? Uh, there's a piece I came across years ago from, I guess, a Hindu text called the Kalidasa. And uh, I've often read it at funerals because it fits, you know, don't just dwell on the past, look to tomorrow. 
I feel a little mixed in this sense. There is such a vast tradition of Jewish literature and liturgy. I'm not always sure what I'm doing, you know, drawing from somewhere else. On the other hand, there is room to appreciate the work of other human beings and to uh, bring it in and to enhance the service. And, you know, if I'm really honest about it, as I think about it, there are many tunes in the synagogue that were probably borrowed from churches four and 500 years ago. So that, uh, you know, there's bound to be some give and take. And it probably makes us better people in the long run. Well, I just want to thank you so much for bringing this whole subject into our modern life. That when you say, I am my prayer, and if you could end this conversation just with a few words about what it means to be that title of the book, what it means to be, I am my prayer. What do you mean by that? Well, I mean that when we focus and when we are attentive on the words of our prayer, when we send them up or wherever they're going, our very soul is part of it. But I also mean that when we are out doing something to better the community and the world, we are our prayer, which uh, leads me to this last quote in the book that I took from Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel that really touches me and I hope will touch the listeners. And this is what he says. Our problem is to live what we pray, how to make our lives a daily commentary on our prayer book, how to live in consonance with what we promise, how to keep faith with the vision we pronounce. Oh, beautiful. Thank you so much. And thank you, Rabbi Citron, for being with us on the New Dimensions Cafe. It was my joy and my honor, Justine. Thank you so much. Thank you. I've been speaking with Rabbi Paul J. Citron at his home by Remote Connection, and he's the author of I Am My Prayer, A Memoir and Guide for Jews and Seekers. And if you want to know more about his work, he doesn't have a website, but you can Google him, Rabbi Paul J. Citrin, C-I-T-R-I-N, Citrin. Google him, and you'll find many references to him. I'm Justine Willis-Toms, and I want to thank you for joining us on the New Dimensions Cafe, and I invite you, please do join us again. You've been listening to the New Dimensions Cafe. This series of shorter interviews features many of the remarkable guests also featured on our internationally syndicated one-hour New Dimensions radio series. To access more than a thousand hours of programs, to subscribe to our newsletters, or to become a member, please visit us at newdimensions.org. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.